everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Stephen Raphael. He is one of the co-authors of the report from the California Policy Lab on Three Strikes in California. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So um, in your opinion, what are the key findings of this report? So uh, our report largely focuses on trying to understand how frequently three strikes is used in in sentences that result in a prison sentence and who is impacted more, what are the types of sentences or the offenses that people are receiving three strike enhancements for, and then also whether it's having an impact on, uh, on public safety. And basically what we're finding is that if you look at, at people admitted to prison, it's something on the order of about 27% of prisons have their uh, prison sentences have their sentence lengthened because of uh, an enhancement under the law. And at any given point in time, it's about 35% of, of inmates in California have a, are serving a sentence that's uh, lengthened due to a three strikes um, enhancement. We're, we're finding uh, that, that three strikes, given that uh, the, the way it operates is for a second strike, or if you have one prior serious or violent offense and you're convicted of any subsequent felony, that that could lead to a doubling of your sentence. And for people who have two prior serious or violence that get a, a third serious or violent uh, conviction, get a, an indeterminate 25 years to life sentence. And what we're seeing is that many people who are sentenced under this law, and in particular for the, for the doubling for a second offense, are receiving enhancements for offenses that are not serious or violent. And then I, I guess the final main finding that we're getting uh, or that we're finding in the study is we we did a, a thorough literature review of research on um, whether three strikes caused any impact on crime rates. There's some researchers that have hypothesized that it would cause large deterrent effects given the severity of the enhancement. There are other researchers that have hypothesized that it might actually have a perverse effect on crime. If people are trying to avoid a third conviction, they may be violent in the process of trying to avoid detection or apprehension by the police. And we basically conclude from their search and our own analysis of crime trends in California that the law probably didn't have much of an impact uh, on crime rates in the state. Crime did fall in California following the passage, but it also fell in in other states that did not pass such laws. Um, and that's pretty much it. So those are those are those are our kind of main takeaways. Um. So was there anything that 
uh, particularly surprised you about your findings? Uh, th there are there are some things that that uh, well I don't know if they were necessarily surprising but I I did find them interesting so we spent a lot of time contrasting the the findings that we're getting in our report from an analysis done by the legislative analysts office in 2005 of three strikes when it had been in in effect for roughly 10 years and one of the things we do see is that. Um, largely due to a reform that happened in 2012, the most severe sentence under three strikes is, is actually considerably um, less rare now than it was in the past. Um, in, so the, the 25 year to life sentence prior to the passage of Prop 36 applied to any third felony conviction for people who had two uh, prior serious or violent offenses. And that was amended to narrowly be applied to a third conviction that is for a third strike with, with a few exceptions. And that actually led to a, a, you know, a, a, a large reduction in the use of that offense um, for people with, with that particular aspect of their criminal history. And so that was kind of an interesting thing. And another thing that we saw, which I guess, um, you know, I, perhaps it's not surprising, but it, it, it is it's a salient pattern is that there's a lot of heterogeneity across counties in the propensity to use the, the sentence. So, so DAs have discretion in terms of whether they're going to, you know, um, uh, sort of request sentences that are enhanced by three strikes. And uh, some, some counties use it more than others. And that ranking appears to be relatively stable uh, over time. So the counties that tended to use it a lot in 2005 also tend to use it relatively more now and, and vice versa. Interesting. So I'm gonna uh, unpack a few of uh, these kind of critical findings. I mean, did you see the, the share of the prison population as being surprisingly high or is that about what you expected? Uh, well, it, it is about what I expected. So. I mean, well, there, there's a there's an interesting contrast uh, that that occurs, and it you know so you get slightly different reads on the proportion of the prison population that are impacted by how you define that population. So, if we look at people admitted to prison, it's about twenty six percent that you know have a an enhanced sentence due to three strikes, and mostly for doubled sentences for a, for a subsequent felony. And it's a small percent, under a percent, that get the life, you know, 25 to life term for a third serious violent. But when you look at the prison population at a given point in time, the percentage is somewhat larger. It's about 35%. And, and in particular, the percentage that are doing times for a third strike sentence is larger. It's about seven, seven and a half percent of the prison population. And basically what's going on there is when you take a snapshot of a population that is dynamically changing where people are entering and, and leaving at any given point in time, you tend to sort of capture people in that snapshot that are disproportionately in the midst of long, long spells, right? And that you see that in other, in other settings. So for example, if you survey the people who are, who are homeless on a given day, you tend to find people who are in the midst of long spells and the characteristics associated with that. And that's not representative of the people who will experience homelessness over the course of a year. So we see that in the prison population too. And you know, while we weren't surprised, it, it does really suggest of 
how important of all the enhancements that we have to criminal sentencing in California, three strikes seems to be the one that really has a lot of bite, that it, it's used frequently and it adds a lot of years. Uh, um, you know, so so a, a typical, you know, the way sentences are 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 constructed, so to speak, in California are, you know, each sentence carries with it uh, uh, sort of three potential offenses, so sometimes referred to as the sentencing triad, where you'll have a lower, a middle, and an upper, and the presumption is absent extenuating or mitigating circumstances that the, the middle sentence will be applied. Um, the, the default sentence for, for offenses is 16, 24, and 36 months, but lots of sentences have longer and sometimes shorter, depending on what's specified in statute. So, you know, if, if the default is, is 24 months for minimum, a medium sentence, you know, a second strike enhancement basically adds two years, right, which is, is quite severe. And, and if the, you know, if the offense is more serious and has a triad that's higher, then uh, obviously more years will be added. And then, of course, the 25 to life sentence really adds a lot, of, a lot of years, right? Because you'll uh, you'll have folks who will have a triad that is is considerably lower, and then the you know the indeterminate 25 to life kind of supersedes that, and that becomes the the dominant sentence. And then, of course, people are going to be in prison for decades. Uh, one of the things we we were seeing when we were just comparing the characteristics of the the these different sort of groups of people in state prison was that people who are sentenced to a third strike sentence when you look at them currently they're you know considerably older than than the average in, inmate in California because of the length of time they've been there and you know a large fraction of them have been in prison for 20 years or more um, and interestingly when you compare their risk scores using uh, the the instrument that the Department of Corrections in California, California Department of Corrections Rehabilitations uses, that they're um, quite heavily concentrated among the lowest risk, uh, the lowest risk levels, largely because of their age. Um, so it, you know, you you can you can very much see how the 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 people serving third strikes is sort of like a, a large. It's, you know, it's not the majority of people in prison, but it's a sizable sort of minority of, of folks, and they're distinct in terms of their age, their profile, and how much time they've served. And this kind of goes to one of the points that the sentencing project has made about long sentences, is that you end up uh, incarcerating people past the point when uh, their criminal activity starts to really subside uh, due to age. Yes, that's 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 uh, that that's true. Um, and I, I think th there's a lot of uh, a lot of research by academic criminologists and economists and others who study criminal justice policy that tries to understand the relationship between, you know, removing someone from society and, you know, and incapacitating them and the impact on public safety. And it is indeed the case that, you know, there are situ there's, there's research examples and there's evidence of people who are very criminally active and, you know, uh, a year in prison will prevent some crime. But what the research seems to suggest is that as people age, that incapacitation effect diminishes because 
people just commit less crime when they get older. Now, of course, that doesn't mean everyone. There are people that will um, commit offenses into advanced age, and there are other people who will desist at very young ages or never commit any offenses over the course of their life. There's a lot of heterogeneity, but it's a strong empirical pattern that um, is observed uh, uh, you know, in the population as a whole. And then even among people who, who um, you know, can be quite criminally active in their youth, that as people get older, in particular over the age of over the age of thirty, um, you know, criminal offending declines, and certainly by the time people are in their forties and fifties, uh, you know, they they're they're just much less active than they they would have been earlier on in their life. Um, and then you guys highlighted one of I think um, the under. Um, recognized features of the three strikes law everybody focuses on the third strike but um the second strike is in some ways uh unique and it's also um very prevalent um and so you know what are you guys seeing in terms uh, and just uh, you mentioned it earlier but second strike offenses in California, you double the sentence. So that that is a substantial penalty, even though it's not 25 to life. Uh, where are you seeing that driving the data here? Well, it's interesting that that is, you know, of the 34, 35% of people in, in prison, uh, you know, currently at a given point in time with an enhanced sentence, the majority have an enhanced sentence for, you know, a, a, a doubled second offense. And the, again, there, there's another interesting case where if you look at people admitted to prison and you look at the prison population at a given point in time, you see some very interesting differences in that population. So it's something on the order of, you know, so, so in, just to be very specific, we look at everybody admitted to prison between 2015 and, and early 2022 in California. And what we're, what we're seeing is that for those who, who have a, a doubling because of a prior series of violent offense, that the majority are, are having a doubling of their sentence for an offense that's not serious or violent. But then when you look at the prison population at a given point in time, you see the opposite. So people that are there with a doubled sentence, uh, they're disproportionately, or they're, they're, the majority are people who had a doubled sentence for a serious violent offense. So it's, again, it's that contrast between the, the flow or the people flowing in and the stock and how the stock will, will largely reflect people who are in the midst of long spells. But the, the, the main point that, that we were trying to, or a pattern that pops out of the data is that you know, th we think three strikes, we think about the person, you know, three strikes and you're out in the baseball metaphor and someone is, is put away for an interim life term. But really the, the majority of people that are affected by the law are getting these double sentences. And it's, it's quite frequent, right? It's, it's a very, um, uh, it, it's commonly applied. You, you see it, uh, um, it's probably lengthened the sentences of hundreds of thousands of admissions in the state since the passage of the law. Um, the other thing that's interesting is just reviewing the research body out there on three strikes in practice. There are a number of states that have the equivalent of a, a three strikes type law, whether they call it a three strikes law or a, or a habitual offender um, provision in their in their penal code and their sentencing practices. 
uh, I think I'm pretty sure that California is the only one that doubles the sentence for all second offenses for somebody that has one serious or violent. So um, it's a unique practice in California. And it's, it's one that, um, you know, for whatever reason, when we passed Prop 36, we focused on the most severe sentence with third strike. But that wasn't, uh, that wasn't considered as, uh, as something in need of reform at the time. Yeah, it's really interesting um, because when I first started, uh, one of the first cases I covered was a third strike case where the guy had stolen a bag of shredded cheese. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a $4 crime and he was facing 25 to life. Because we highlighted the case, eventually the DA decided that uh, this wasn't a good idea. And so um, they, they basically agreed to strike a strike, uh, which sounds good in theory, but he ends up still getting eight years in prison uh, for that, again, relatively minor crime. And this is a guy, you know, definitely probably mentally ill and uh, had a really long record, but it was all these petty offenses, you know? Um, I mean, this wasn't a violent criminal. This was somebody who was, um, you know, definitely committing crimes and definitely a nuisance, but, you know, eight years in prison seemed really excessive. Um, and your data is really fascinating um, because it found that 65% of the admissions to prison with doubled sentences are for nonviolent, non-serious offenses. And as you point out, you know, Prop 36 dealt with the third strike, but they, they never dealt with, you know, the, the non-serious second strike offenses. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, and what's interesting, I, I think uh, one interesting fact that's highlighted in, in, in um, that case that you just recounted is the fact that the, you know, the district attorney has the discretion to decide to whether to proceed with a, you know, a sort of establishing the facts that there's two priors and the person could get, get the life sentence. And, and some district attorneys, uh, you know, we highlight one, one case of uh, a district attorney in Los Angeles who very early on prior to uh, the passage of Prop 36 had unilaterally sort of established a policy for you know, for, uh, you know, for his associate district attorneys that they weren't going to, you know, um, they weren't going to pursue third strike sentences for non-serious non-violence and that they also weren't going to uh, pursue second strike sentences for, um, uh, you know, subsequent offenses that weren't serious or weren't on the serious or violent list. So, you know, probably some version of, of that uh, exists in in DA's offices across the you know across the counties, and then other places are 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 more conservative and and are using it more frequently. So that there's there's a certain degree of, um, I mean, which is always true in in all states in the United States, right? That that there's a there's a state policy, and then there's a lot of discretion afforded to the locality. Um, but in the use of three strikes, you know, we definitely see that you know there are some places where you're just more likely to be sentenced harshly than others, holding constant the details of one's case. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, the consequence is that you have kind of this patchwork or unequal justice uh, 
across the counties. And so, you know, you see some counties, uh, you know, where where there's a high proportion of second and third strikers, and then some counties where there's almost none. Um, and, and that seems kind of problematic to me. Yeah, I mean, some of that could certainly reflect um, differences in, you know, underlying base crime rates or whatever across counties. But in in what we had done, we tried to normalize by the amount of felony arresting that was occurring. You know, it's the volume of 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 serious offending as measured by as measured by that particular arrest metric. Um, and there is that heterogeneity, yeah. And it it does um uh it it, it is an indicator of of you know the great power in some ways that that operators at the front end of the criminal justice system can have in determining uh, the fate of a case and the fate of a person. Um, and then also just the general heterogeneity and how something is going to be treated based on, uh, you know, based on geography in some ways, right? And it, it's, it's very unusual. I guess it's not unusual if you grow up and live here in the United States, but perhaps it, it would be a foreign concept in other countries, just how much regional variation there is in, in formal law, right? If we look across states at, at differences in penal code and, and sentencing practices, but also within a state uh, um, in, in how the same penal code is implemented in, in different, county, uh, different county courts. Um, and also, you know, what do we know about the racial component to all of this? Uh, well, that's that's a, a good question. So um, we we do uh, a little bit of we we do have some results in our in our study where we compare the demographic characteristics of people who are on you know just regular determinate sentence without a strike enhancement people who have a double strike enhancement and people who have a three strike enhancement and and then just look at their age and uh their age at admission when they committed their offense and the race ethnicity distribution and for the most part the prison population overall is you know uh, disproportionately African-American in California. So it's about 28% African-American and the, the, the state population is about 6%. Um, but when you look across these, these categories, so among those with no strike enhancement, it's about 25% African-American. Among those with a double uh, sentenced enhancement, it's about 33%. And then when you go to the people who are serving uh, 25 year to life or third strike, fully 45% of that population is African American. So the 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 overrepresentation of of black Californians is is uh, much greater among the strike enhanced and particularly the third strike enhanced. Interestingly the the proportion Hispanic is um you know the uh, Hispanic people the Latinos are still overrepresented among prison population but much less so and as you go across those categories, the percent Hispanic actually declines. So, you know, among no strike enhancements, 48% Hispanic, among double sense, 43. And when you get to third strike, it's 27. Uh, so, you know, the, the largest disparities, and this is true in other aspects of the criminal justice system in the state, whether you look at, you know, um, jail populations or, or people stopped by the police or people searched, that you tend to see the greatest 
uh, race disparities for, for African-Americans relative to others. Um, and then, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit about prosecutorial discretion, but where do we see like judicial discretion coming into this? So, so I think that there, there's a there's an interesting history there because my understanding is the the original passage of three strikes afforded very little judicial discretion, and then litigation around cases ended up establishing that that um, judges actually do have discretion to um, uh, you know uh, limit the application of a strike enhancement in furtherance of justice if they think it's unfair or for you know for other considerations. So that there is there is room for 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 judges to do that. Um, th there's also uh, room, and we see a little bit of evidence of that in the data, that when somebody is being sentenced for say a second strike and is facing a double sentence, that um, uh, it appears that when the offense is for a non-serious, non-violent offense, that that there's a slight increase in the proportion, um, not a slight, I mean, it's, it's a significant increase, but not very large, in the proportion of the offenses that are sentenced to the lower value of the sentencing triad rather than the middle or the upper value. And, um, you know, whether that's resulting from the, from the judge or from the prosecutor, we, we don't know. But it, it does appear to suggest that um, in some instances, even when the triad is, is being enhanced by, by that second strike, that uh, actors in the, in the criminal justice system are kind of mitigating it to some degree by choosing that lower triad. But that effect, at least what we see in the data, you know, for people that are in prison, it appears to be on the, on the modest side. Um, and then finally, you guys had found that the implementation of three strikes does not explain statewide declines in crime over time. So how did you determine that? Well, we, we started by reviewing a number of, of research studies, uh, some of which were looking, you know, were, were conducted right after the um, three strikes was implemented. And, and what, what you do see if you look at crime trends in the state is that, um, with you know, right after the passage of three strikes, so three strikes passes in 1994, both via via you know acts by the state legislature as well as via voter initiative, and in the subsequent years, you see large declines in crime in both violent and property crime, and so there there were initial assessments at the time that were claiming that you know because of the coincidence of those two trends that three strikes had a big impact on crime, but when you look more deeply at the data. You, you see that that crime was already trending down in the couple of years before, so it was a continuation of trend. Um, there was research by uh, a law faculty member and his colleagues from UC Berkeley, a, a scholar named Frank Zimmering, who was kind of the first to point out that when you look at people that are being arrested, admitted to prison, the proportion that were kind of three strikes eligible was not shrinking, right? So it wasn't, you didn't see kind of a change in the composition that would suggest a behavioral response. And then I, I think the, the perhaps the most um, kind of puzzling thing is that when you look at states that didn't pass three strikes laws, especially states that had crime rates that parallel California's trends in the pre-period, that that their crime rates fell in lockstep with California's, especially the violent crime rate. 
And that, you know, that's true for both violent and property crime, that the, the country experienced pronounced increases in, in lethal violence and serious violence in, in the late 80s and early 90s. And California among the 50 states was sort of near the top of the pack. And then it, it peaked and, uh, and crime rates declined quite precipitously over the next 20 years. And essentially that happened in states without three strikes. It happened in states with three strikes. It happened in states that passed three strikes that were much weaker than California's. It happened in California where we had a really stiff three strikes. And so there was just a general trend in the country that what that uh for whatever reason crime was 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 falling and so you don't have a departure of california from these other places and so from that you know one would infer the three strikes is probably not what was going on from what you've studied so far um do you think that three strikes is driving mass incarceration in california well you know california actually at the moment is has a, an incarceration rate, which is, is now um, lower than it was prior to three strikes passing. So we had at its peak around 2007, 2008, a prison population that was almost 170,000, right? And, and also a smaller overall population for the, for the state. And now we're down to below 100,000. So you know, and a lot, some of the, a lot of that can be attributable to very specific reforms, right? So realignment in 2011, uh, Prop 47 in 2014, probably uh, Prop 57 the past 2016 that made made it uh, sort of increasing proportions of people eligible for early release depending on the on the 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 aspects of their um, of their offense, and then also you know. Crime has been trending down, and so there's less people that are, are committing offenses that make them prison eligible. So in, in some ways, we've almost halved our prison population while keeping three strikes there, right? So, um, I, you know, we still have a high incarceration rate by international standards, but relative to the rest of the country, our state went from being at the mid middle of the pack to you know right there at the national average to being way below national average and given our size actually dragging the national average down. It's kind of a fascinating story. But it is the case that when we look at the current population, right, that you know a lot of those reforms were targeted at people that were, um, you know, sort of. Uh, um, you know, convicted of non-serious non-violence that don't have histories that are are convicted of uh, or being tried for offenses that are wobblers where they could be charged as either a misdemeanor or as felony. And, you know, the three strike population are are folks who are convicted of felonies, oftentimes convicted of serious felonies and, and get long prison sentences. And so when we look at our current prison population, Right. What we see, what we see is that, you know, three strikes is a very important contributor at the moment, right? That of the 98,000 or so people that are still in prison, right? That now it's a third have these, these very long sentences. Um, so it's a big contributor, right? Uh, and it, it, it definitely um, makes our prison population in, in equilibrium higher than it would be in the absence of that law. Um, but it is, I think it is also important to note that, that the state in many ways uh, has been kind of at the 
at the forefront of, of sort of reducing its use of prison. And we've, we've actually um, progressed way beyond what many other states have done uh, in, you know, since 2011. Are we seeing the use of three strikes go down or is it steady? Well, it, at least for the second strike, it appears to be, a, a, you know, it appears to be fairly, fairly steady uh, and, and frequently used. Third strikes, on the other hand, and, and again, largely as a result of, of Prop 36 in 2012, is, you know, relatively rare, right? So of people admitted to prison from 2015, 2022, it's under a percent of people that are getting that. But when we look at any given point in time, given that those folk get very long sentences, uh, they tend to accumulate and we see that, you know, it's about seven or eight percent of people that are, are three strikes. So, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. So, you know, the, the doubling is is used very frequently uh, and probably consistently so since the law was passed. Um, third strike, 25 year life sentences are 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 relatively rare compared to you know what was happening in the early or in the in the late 1990s and 2000s. And I don't know if you want to wade into this, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, you know, from a normative perspective, I mean, what seems to be the most problematic aspect of the three strikes law? Well, I mean, I, I think there are many, many different thoughts about what should constitute a, a you know, a just and, um, and fair uh, sentence for criminal offending. You know there are there are people who motivate or or who believe that you know sentences should somehow um, be based on on uh, you know I guess rearticulating um, the values of society and making sure that 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 you know people receive a sentence that's proportionate and uh, to the harm that they've caused uh, you know and and there are there are issues i mean sometimes people are receiving a third strike sentence for very severe offenses where they're causing quite a bit of harm and sometimes they're receiving them for offenses that perhaps are not as severe uh you know they're they're serious or violent by statute but but one might question whether or not they really merited a 25 year to life sentence and so i think there there are issues there that are are raised about equity and proportionality and and whether the sentence somehow fits fits the crime and i think Anytime we have a one-size-fits-all or, or these, you know, um, types of sentencing practices that are inflexible, these, these issues are going to arise. I, I think the alternative school of thought about sentencing is more consequentialist, which is the idea that, um, you know, we levy out a sentence that somehow is going to, you know, um, produce a benefit in terms of deterrence and perhaps incapacitation for somebody who's gonna, you know, likely visit harm on others. And, and I think that th this is one, if that's that's your metric where the very, very long sentences are, are, are hard to justify, right? Because we incarcerate people into very, very, very old ages. And, you know, they're oftentimes um, uh, um, different people than they were when they committed the offense that, that landed them in prison. And and then by limiting the discretion on the back end, it you know adds years, it adds cost, it um, uh, you know it sort of uh, um, becomes a little hard to justify. So I I think in some ways.
the normative issues depend on on what the motivation for sentencing is. And I I, I think, you know, I, I'm I'm an empirical researcher and economist, and I struggle with with sometimes thinking about these normative issues. And over the years, I've studied criminal justice, but you know, they have to be wrestled with. I think in any one of these uh, in any one of these sentencing debates, and um, you know, it's it's definitely not a science on how you titrate uh, a punishment for an offense. But there are frameworks that we can use to think about fairness and, and equity, and then also about you know just the utility of uh, of some of our practices that I you know that I, we're trying to you know through research like this contribute the information needed for people to deliberate. If people want to read this report, um, where would they go? Uh, well, if they just Google the California Policy Lab at UC Berkeley. Um, uh, the web page will come right up in your search by probably very, the first or second uh, hit in the search and there will be on the front page a link to the study that has an executive summary as well as the longer 40 page uh, document. And we'll try to put a link in um, the, the podcast link as well so that people can uh, refer to the report. It's an interesting report um, and it was very thorough. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today and discussing this fascinating issue. Thank you. Thank you, David, for having me. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.